are, Coopercast, episode 206. Hello, everybody, and I don't have anything up to read. Wow, that's I'm weirdly unprepared tonight. I didn't know what movie I was going to talk about. <laughs> I don't have any of my, my show notes up. This is a, a, a strange, strange, strange uh, night here in, uh, in the Hoopercast uh, headquarters. Uh, but Dustin is here, and I'm here, and yeah. for the next uh, hour on the Hoopercast Movie Hour, we are going to talk about movies. Um, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio on Demand, SoundCloud, call into the show, 251-333-8732 to leave us your questions and comments, adam-tickets.pxf.io slash hooper, $5 off your first movie ticket if you use that link and purchase tickets with it. And, uh, and if you like it, come back, support the show that way, we get a little bit of a taste of the action there, man. Yeah, daddy-o. Um, <laughs> hi, Dustin. Hello. We're pimps now. What a, yeah. what a, what a, what a great intro. Thank you. I uh, stumbled into that one, but, uh, that's, that's sort of, that's sort of the brand. Sure. Yes, sir. All right. Um, we got some stuff to talk about. Um, so let's, let's get, let's get to talking about it. Um, sweet. Okay. Weekend box office, June, uh, 7th through the 9th of this past Whew, boy, I can't talk, man. It's I don't good. know what it is. Maybe because I'm so excited about this box office. Maybe. Um, number one, we got a couple of new champs here. Um, knocking knocking Godzilla out of the number one spot. We got two films here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got debuting at number one, The Secret Life of Pets 2 from yep. Universal. $46 million. Um Pretty good stuff there. And then also we've got Dark Phoenix, which is mm-hmm. the, the latest and final um, fo- you know, Fox X-Men film. Yes. And uh, debuting at number two with $32 million. Uh, it does not list a budget here, but um, I'm sure it was gigantic. Yes. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Dark Phoenix in just a, in just a minute because we got some... I got just a few things to point out and I'm sure Dustin does as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those pushed a couple of big films out of the top spots here. So Aladdin was number two last week, mm. uh, this weekend taken in $24 million. Yep. Um, and it's up to a domestic $232 million gross, $183 million budget. And internationally Aladdin right now worldwide is $607 million. Um, which is the weirdest thing about this movie, honestly, other than it exists, other than Will Smith being the genie, is this was directed by Guy Ritchie. Yeah, that's so it's strange. It's so weird. Yeah, it seems so <laughs> uncharacteristic. Um, the um, the movie was number two last week. It only fell one spot to number three. Um, yeah. And it was less than $10 million behind the premiere weekend of Dark Phoenix, um, whereas Secret Life of Pets 2 and Dark Phoenix knocked Godzilla. That was number one last week. Godzilla's number four this week. All the way to four. Yeah. yeah um, $15 million up to 78, uh, 70, $170 million budget. Although internationally, this is at $294 million. Hmm. Um, we knew, obviously, it would do really well internationally. Yes. Um, Rocket Man is down to number five, down from three. Um, John Wick is down to number seven from number five. And Avengers Endgame is down to number eight, taking in just under $5 million for its seventh week on the box office, up to $824 million domestically and worldwide, 
billion dollars. Um, and yes. at this point, it is probably not passing Avatar. Mm, yeah. Um, but but damn close. Yes. Um, nonetheless. Um, Th- that still makes no sense to me. Really? Oh, just because yeah. of the... <laughs> well, well, just in, in terms of... I mean, maybe I wasn't as plugged into Avatar because it was not a... Because it was an original idea, so to speak. Um, but it... I don't remember it being as important to the culture. Like, I, I remember everyone being like, oh, you've got to see this. But I don't remember anybody saying like, yo, this is like the movie to see. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I feel like it, it's a weird conundrum. But I just don't feel like beyond people just like being curious, I don't feel like Avatar ever had the cultural impact that Avengers has had already. Right. Well, sadly, they do not um, measure cultural impact by money. This is true. Even though it's initially that's the first indicator of cultural impact is, in fact, money. Um, yes. Oh, boy. It just means that James Cameron is the greatest con man in the world. Yeah, it James does. Cameron and Fox are the best con people. Yes. Con mans uh, in con the world. Mans. Um. So let's let's talk about Dark Phoenix real quick. Okay. I've got an article. I think it's the same one that John sent us. Mm-hmm. It's from Deadline. It is actually. I recognize the title. It's called Dark Phoenix is bound to lose 100 plus million dollars after the worst domestic opening in X-Men series. And here's why. And it's a big article essentially about what was happening at Fox um, before the Disney merger, during the Disney merger, and after the Disney merger that affected this film. And it's a real scathing portrait of the horrible decisions that went into um, finishing and marketing this film um, and sort of the balls that were continually dropped um, over over the course of months by you know, by the marketing department, which among other departments of Fox had like a revolving door of executives. Cause everyone was, you know, sort of jumping ship to, mm-hmm. to go work for other places. Like the head of the marketing went to go work at Paramount and, mm-hmm. um, and it's, and it seems like he was one of those people who like, you're, you're, you should have, you should have worked to keep him because like the minute he left, like the marketing department just fell apart. Right. <laughs> um, I, 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 I feel you, buddy. Um, I, um, it's just, it was real. Um, did you read the actual, you read the article, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. It was, uh, what'd you think? What would you think of that? I mean, what a mess. (laughs) The the whole thing is just a, a, a a dumpster fire of bad decisions. Um, you know, essentially what, what's outlined there is what, what catches my mind, my eye is that you have, a bunch of people who have no artistic intent, but just like uh, manipulation of, of facts, figures and what should and should not work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the art gets lost and all it becomes is about like numbers and, 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 and an Excel spreadsheet fashion. It's, it's just so strange. Um, the way that it, it's just so mishandled. Um, and, and that's not to say that there isn't some sort of merit to, you know, calculating what, what will put butts in seats. There obviously is, there's, there's definitely something to be said for that. However, 
if that's all you care about to the point where you're, it, it just seems like what they were doing was they were dictating to the writer director, um, what needs to happen now based on what their, you know, what their analytics were. And, and that's such a backwards way of making a film. Um, and especially one that, uh, you know, essentially will turn out to be the final, like the, the season, the series finale. Um, why do it that way? I mean, yeah. can you imagine if Kevin Feige had done it that way and said like, Oh, well, you know what? It turns out people actually want is this, they want dogs. And so everyone has a dog now. <laughs> Like it just wouldn't have, it it just doesn't make any sense artistically or story wise. You have to let the story drive. You you cannot let anything else drive. And I think that's the biggest lesson here. And, and although we, we seem to have learned that over and over and over and over, um, this is just another case of people in suits making movies and not, you know, people with the, the vision having the power. Um, spoiler, spoiler alert for, um, Avengers Endgame, but I want to bring up a relevant, um, qualifier to your statement there. Um, there's a petition online right now for people, you know, so, you know, speaking of Sophie Turner, um, you know, of course there's Game of Thrones where there's, there are people who want the season to be done over again. Um, not by, not by Dan and David, um, which is ludicrous, first of all. And second of all, like, even if it, even if it was like a, even if HBO wanted to do that, like, no, what, well, no, the actors are going to do that. Like, that's never going to happen. No. Um, no. and then there's a similar one where there are people who haven't coped well with the death of Tony Stark and they want, they want, um, they want him, they want his character to come back in, in, in subsequent films. And I read, I think you sent me this, Dustin, and, and the change.org essentially is like, um, he's come a long way and he's fixed a lot of his mistakes and Tony deserves a better. And I'm, I'm just, and it's, it's just like the Pokemon PETA stuff from last weekend. I'm just like pulling my hair out like, oh my God, you crazy people. It's not real. It's not right. real. And right. I mean, it, it's, it's one of the universal rules of film and television is when people have a character arc, they die, <laughs> like especially right. in like fantasy films. So like, I mean, Boromir, yeah. speaking of Game of Thrones, right. Sean Bean, I mean, like, you know, Boromir, he's like, it's the minute he realized, like, I'm gonna go be a hero and save these hobbits because I was a real dick. He gets shot full of arrows and dies, but he dies yep. a hero. You know, yep. that's that's sort of the game. And uh, even if it wasn't, that's a real dramatic way to end a movie with meaning. Um, mm-hmm. Can I don't know if I would have liked Endgame nearly as much if Stark had lived, even though I, th- I thought that he should have. Before mm-hmm. I saw the film, I thought that you can have his arc and keep him around. I don't, you know, we, we we went back and forth about it. Anyways, it's it's another in thing that's indicative of like we're listening to the to the audience too much now. Like, there's a difference between listening to so the the client, the customer, whatever. You listen to the client a good deal because you want their business, and at the end of the day, it's theirs. You know, that's it's their product, it's their whatever. Um, you want them to enjoy it, so you want to give them something that they want, so they keep coming back. But at a certain point, you got too many cooks in the kitchen. You have too many disparate opinions trying to make trying to fight for top position with what decision you're going to make. And at the end of the day, you're not making anything as an artist anymore. You're making you're making by committee. You're making art by committee you're just making this this broad product that can satisfy everyone and while that might make you some money i mean this is where i get altruistic about movie making because I, I do get cynical about the business like this, this it's a business it's a product and it's to make money period and everyone should never forget that but that's not what it's supposed to be and mm-hmm. 
and and especially today and, and especially in the United States with the embarrassment of riches that we have with the resources to make good movies there's really no reason why even a big blockbuster now has to be like okay to make money yeah. it can yeah. be excellent and make money and 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 it should be um yeah. Yeah, that, that it's just it. I don't like I don't like that we have analytics. I don't like that we have all these things that influence how to make a movie. I'm looking at a picture right now of of a the screen grab from the article. It's it's Jessica Chastain and Sophie Turner, and Jessica's kind of got her hands on her shoulders, like talking to her. And and I can't help but th- I can't help but pant like but think of what they're talking about is look. I know this isn't what you thought acting was going to be, but this is what it is. Like that's what I I keep imagining that conversation being had with them. And I can't think of how heartbreaking it must be as an, as an, as an artist to work in Hollywood sometimes, because you're just, you have this awesome idea and it just gets sort of neutered and dulled down and the message stripped from it um, just to make some money. Well, and I think I think this is sort of the un- unintended um, consequence of the internet, right? Of social yeah. media, which is that everybody's opinion, everyone feels like their yeah. opinion matters, is equally valid. Yeah, and 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 while like in a sense, you would hope that that's somewhat true. Yeah. you also have to understand that, like, especially when it comes to something like this or Game of Thrones or in game or, or whatever, um, whatever happens should be, uh, driven by the art. So if you, the audience don't like the way the art goes, uh, that that's a personal preference. There's, there's no, um, there's no guarantees that like, I mean, it's really weird because there's not really another artistic medium to compare this to, except for maybe like um, an album, like your favorite band makes an album and like you really love the first couple tracks. And by the time you get to the last track, you're like, this sucks. Um, And but but it's not made for you like it is in in as much as we want you to purchase it and 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 devour it. But but it's not made for you. And so, and so this idea that your opinion is worth as much as the artist's opinion is just not true, right? You, if you want your opinion to matter that much, then you need to be an artist. Like you need to create, um, if you are the, the, the audience member, then your opinion, how you want the story to go does not matter at all. It it just doesn't. And so, and so the the thing about this is because all art is subjective you have people who like me love that ending that tony should have died yeah i i said from the get-go he's gonna die he should die that's the only proper way to end a story gotta kill him and then you have the people who are like no he shouldn't have died we're gonna make a change petition whatever (laughs) okay but but it worked for me. So, so what are you saying that every movie now needs a, a minimum of two endings and you get to pick and choose because that's the absolute opposite of art. That's right. what we're talking about. That is people in suits with voices louder than the art, the, 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 the artists themselves who are dictating to the artist the way that the art should go. And that's not at all what art is. It's never been that way, and it can't be that way. Um, you know, yeah. Anyway, I, 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 I it just 
boggles my mind to think that like somebody has such a huge problem with something that they even think that this is even a possibility, right? Oh, you know what I bet will happen if I write that I like or that I hate this, that probably Robert Downey Jr. will agree to reshoot the entire ending of that film. Yeah. Marvel will agree to spend millions of dollars to reshoot the end of that film and, uh, and we'll just reshoot it and it'll be fine. And you won't have to change anything else about the film. Bullcrap. You have to change the entire film. Yeah. You can't just re you can't just redo the end. Because because that ending is a payoff for a lot of things. <laughs> you see, like, there are things called narrative through lines that yes. uh, that matter, uh, and that's part of the the um, what's the word? Oh, it's part of the art. Right. Correct. <laughs> you like the whole "I love you" three thousand. Like yeah. it's a payoff. Yeah. And so and so if you if he doesn't die at the end, then there's no point of even having that at all. Right. So you, it's a ripple effect. You you can't just take a scene out. In, in in what is a good piece of art, you can't take a scene out. You have to replace the entire movie. So, eh, it bothers me, man. Like, I, I so part of me thinks <clears throat> sometimes that this is where you know, to a lesser extent, I mean, not not perfect, but to a lesser extent, that books and music have an edge mm. because those are two groups of artists who, for the most part. The successful ones, the really good ones, the ones you're going to remember are the ones who, and in movies too, but just for the sake of this conversation, are those are the ones who are making art for an audience, not the entire audience. Because right. you can't please everybody. People have different no. tastes. You will never please everyone. It's not possible. So you, you make your you make your piece as yeah. broad as possible sure. so that as many people can experience it as possible. Right. But you do that without sacrificing your vision. And then what you decide, yeah. what you have to decide as an artist is I'm gonna have to be okay with the idea that there will be people who do not agree with this story. Right. And there will be people who do. And I'm making it for the people who do agree. Because I agree, because I'm making it. And so I'm making it for the people like me who think like me and would like to or or would like to think like me, right? Or who can suspend themselves long enough to indulge me. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's what it is. Because, it, it, you know, someone that comes to mind is like Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele makes Get Out. He makes Us. There are certainly people who like those to varying degrees, um, you know, I, I could talk about any number of people that I know that d don't like get out and I loved it. And, and that's, that's their prerogative. But Jordan Peele was not making that movie for everybody. He was making it for himself because he had something he wanted to say. And if you liked it or could indulge him long enough, then you would enjoy yourself. And if not, then guess what? The movie's not made for you. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Um, so as with regards to X-Men. Um, yeah, I, man, that was a long. No, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's okay. But like, that's the thing. Like, it's, this is the latest casualty in that whole thing. I mean, th this movie was shot two years ago. Yeah. And it just kept getting delayed and moved and stuff because they wanted to tweak a bunch of things with it. And, and. And it just was, you know, and from what I hear, it's not, there are some people out there who would put this in like the upper half of the X-Men films in terms of quality. I mean, 
Sure. I was watching, you know, the red letter media review today for it. And, um, they pointed out that this film and Godzilla are two films that came out this summer that have really low Rotten Tomatoes critic scores, but a fairly decent audience rating. Mm. Um, people are enjoying them and they sure. may not be like, they may not be good films in the sense of like coherent or, or, you know, that great of, of, obje- of, well, not objective, but you know, I'm trying to find the word. I'm trying to find a simile to, to critics, but like essentially mm-hmm. like a film that that may not be of that much standard of quality when it comes to sure. filmmaking, but it's enough. It, but but people are going to see it and they're mm-hmm. they're satisfied with what they came to see because that's what they expected to see. So whether sure. that means they're not expecting much of the X-Men franchise, maybe that's the whole point, you know, but to me. Yeah when we have an embarrassment of riches of good art around and commercial mm-hmm. art, that's also good. Like Endgame, I just, I've been saying this for weeks and I feel like, I feel like an old man just coming back to my, my loop here. But like when there's this much good stuff around, you got to raise the bar or none of it means anything. It's absolutely true. And I think the case in point here is dark Phoenix made $32 million in its opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're generous and round that up to $33 million, it still ain't good. Right. And so th- the idea is um, not only is this the lowest um, opening gro- opening weekend for any X-Men movie, mm-hmm. um, it also happens to be the final one. Yeah. And, and that's so strange, um, especially when you compare it to the trajectory of Avengers, um, which, you know, makes makes complete sense that it would be as huge as it was because it's the season finale. Um, And then this is that same thing. It should be bigger than any of the other ones, but it wasn't marketed that way. And it wasn't told that way from what I can tell. Right. So, um, you know, all, all I think you can really point to here is either X-Men fatigue, which eh, maybe, but I, I, I don't know. And, and but then the only other thing would be um, just the fact that it's just not a good movie. It didn't look interesting. It's a story we've already seen um, not too long ago, and and I think I think it's just one of those things where you I, I you can tell this is not some you know artistic statement of a film. It's just a paint by numbers. It's, Hey, here's what happens because we need it to happen because it will look cool. Yeah. And, and that's all there is to it. And I think, I think what may be happening and this may be, um, a side effect of the MCU is that we're starting to pick up better on when things are manufactured and when things are a little more sincere. Yep. And so, um, and so, you know, maybe that, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a good little uh, effect of Avengers. Um, so so we'll see. Um, you know, I, I I'm interested to see what happens next weekend with Dark Phoenix. Um, whether it just completely falls off, or you know, I, like I just have no idea what to expect at this point because that's such a low number. Um, my thought is like, is that just because literally there's nobody else in America who wants to see this thing? Um, so I have no idea what's going to happen next week, man, but I, I'm really interested to see what, what happens. 
I definitely think it's the fatigue with the X-Men property because I mean, th- these things all have X-Men on them, you know, people are, yeah, yeah. people, people can be kind of checked out, but they're not checked out enough. Like they re- they remember all, all these, this cast as these characters and they've seen, you know, um, the, the last movie that this cast did, people weren't that, uh, were pretty disappointed with it. And before, I didn't even see Apocalypse. I haven't seen Apocalypse either. Like I don't care. I saw Days of Future Past. That's the last yeah. one I saw. Well, uh, c- continue. I only, I've only seen all the ones that Wolverine is in. Which yeah. is only most of them now. Right. You know? Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's uh, that's that's Dark Phoenix. Um, this weekend opening up, got a couple of big ones actually here. Mm-hmm. Could take the top spot. <clears throat> well, not the top. Well, one could take the top spot. First, we've got uh, Shaft, which mm-hmm. I didn't even know they were making a, a sequel, I guess, to, yeah. to, to what, what year did Shaft come out? Ooh, like 94 90, or something? Yeah, early 90s, I think. Somewhere okay. in there. That's, that's, I snuck that one up on us. I, hadn't, I didn't see any marketing till like the other day. Yeah, it's a weird, it's like a sequel reboot. What's the, let's squeeboot. see. Look at the. Squeeboot. <laughs> Squeeboot. Um, old school cop John Shaft forms a new partnership with his son, an FBI cybersecurity expert. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh God, no. Sounds like a '90s movie, doesn't oh, it? Oh my God, that is a '90s movie. Like, hey, I'm the old school, but this one's good with computers. Can you? Now, now, son, can you hack into this? Are you hacking here? Yeah, I'm gonna hack it. Oh uh, yeah, Dad, I'm totally. I'm uh, bypass the mainframe, Dad. Also, Shaft was 2000. What? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? 2000, like such a '90s. Oh movie. my God. Must have taken it. Must have sat in development hell for like fifteen years. <laughs> does it matter that the script was written in nineteen eighty five? Nope. Nope. It's now or never. We're gonna get out. this made. We're gonna. This right. is gonna die. Oh boy. Um. Of course, the big one coming up this weekend is Men in Black International, starring our friends from Thor Ragnarok, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. Yep. Um. And uh, let's see. Of course, there's there's oh, there's a mole. Oh, there's a mole in the Men in Black. Oh, um, directed by F. Gary Gray. Oh, wow. Okay, that makes yeah. me feel a little better about it. Yeah. What's the last thing he directed? Was it Straight Outta Compton? Yes. Okay. So we've got Tessa Thompson. We got Chris Hemsworth, Rebecca Ferguson, mm-hmm. Liam Neeson, Emma Thompson. Wow. 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 It's a great cast. Wow. Wow. Um <laughs> I'm I'm really interested in seeing how that how that does. If if I hear I, this is even rem- remotely good, I'm going to check it out on rental. Yeah, I'll I'll rent it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how many people will see it in theaters. I I maybe maybe it'll be a lot, maybe it won't be. I have literally no idea at all. Because because I don't know if Men in Black was a draw because of the men in black or because of Will Smith. Mm. You take Will Smith out. Yeah. Are people interested in men in black? Oh boy. I bet Patrick I H. Know. Willems would have thoughts about that, but I would say that sure. I, I, I don't know. It's a property they recognize. It's a star. They recognize everyone knows who Chris Hemsworth is. They can recognize him. They see him being silly and they know he's funny and they're like, Oh, he can be sillier now. Now he's Chris Hemsworth being silly, and mm. then we've got we've got Tessa Thompson in there too. So that sort of rounds out the whole audience there. And you know, 
It, it could be. I mean, first of all, the film itself could be good, but I think that's enough ingredients to get people to be interested, especially when nothing else is coming out except for Shaft, which is only going to appeal to certain people. Like you're not going to you're not going to get teens going to see Shaft. Mm-hmm. Like then, I mean, it, especially if it's rated R, like it, which I don't even know if it is, but. I mean, they don't know what Shaft is. They know what Men in Black right. is. They've probably watched it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's got pretty good chances. I think it can definitely unseat um, Secret Life of Pets and um, Dark Phoenix. Yeah, I'm. I'm just so curious. We'll and, see because I, I have no I th- idea. What I think also by. that we've 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 raised the bar and we've raised the um, we've raised the clientele, if you will, on on good sci-fi. And I think that people might just be glad that there's some science fiction in theaters that is not superhero related before sure. Spider-Man comes out. So maybe they're sure. like, okay, we've seen Endgame. Maybe we saw Dark Phoenix. Maybe we didn't. Looks like we didn't. Um, right. But, um, oh, but this is aliens in space, but it's not like superheroes, um, even sure. though it stars two superheroes. Um, right, right, right. But, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it, it could, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea. All right. Um, okay, cool. Well, there's that. Um, all right. How about this? Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about a few films. Uh, and also today in film history, because I'm, I'm just giddy about those lately. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was supposed to be me like doing a huge line, but it, it sounded like a like an ogre, like a creature. It just sounded like a hog. Like you have, you just have a pig on your lap. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Back in a minute. Hoopercast movie hour. On the Hoopercast Movie Hour. That was quick. That was quick. You know what else was quick? Um, what? In 1982, on this day in, in film and television history, Taxi aired for the final time on ABC and moved to NBC in the fall. I didn't realize that even happened back then. Yeah. The most the most recent example I can think of is, is Brooklyn Nine-Nine getting canceled and then getting picked mm-hmm. up by, um, by Fox? Uh... Was it on Fox? NBC? I think it was on NBC, NBC and then it got picked uh, up on Fox. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Which to me, it always felt like a Fox show. Anyway. Um, 1989, Tales from the Crypt TV anthology debuts on HBO. I didn't even know that was on HBO. Mm-hmm. Shows how much I know. How, how, how would I know? I was, I was depending on what month this was, I was, I was not even born. <laughs> so I, I have no way of knowing. There you go. Um, There's no earthly way of knowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of HBO, got a couple things to talk about real quick. Do I it. wanted to briefly recap a couple of things um, that I've seen, and I've found my door, and here it is. A um, couple of things on HBO that might be worth checking out. First of all, speaking of Sophie Turner earlier in HBO Now, I'm going to pick every thread I can to connect to this idea. Um, there is a documentary called The Last Watch. It's called Game of Thrones, The Last Watch, um, but it's it's about the production, the final season of Game of Thrones. This is strange. Here we are at the last table read. It's like looking around and seeing your family. 
It's our biggest season ever. I feel like if you're seeking out this documentary, you'll you'll enjoy it at least enough because you just want to see some Game of Thrones. Um, if you're not into the show, there's no reason you would watch this at all. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a, it's kind of a biased pool of um, of viewers there. So um, I like Game of Thrones, but I didn't really like the last season. But you know, I promised my wife I'd watch the documentary with her. So here I am watching the documentary with her. And I like behind the scenes, and I just want a little peek at what's going on. And so there's been articles written. If it, you know, if, if you keep up with film news at all, or even clickbaity news from Facebook, you know a few things like, um, oh, watch Kit Harrington react to to hearing that 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 uh, the blah blah character dies and all that. You know, they're all pulled from these documentaries. And so what it really does is it makes it so that people don't even have to watch these anymore to to hmm. see this information. I wonder if that pisses off HBO at all. Um, <laughs> Like people, don't even, I'm sure it's in the article that's from the documentary, but it's almost like you wouldn't even know there was a documentary. Like there right. was, there was stuff I saw on the Google News for film news that came from, um, that came from uh, what was it? Oh, right now there's a, it's a big thing that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow didn't realize that she was in Spider-Man: Homecoming, mm-hmm. and the reason that people that that's coming out is because over the weekend, um, the Chef, Chef the TV sh- series dropped on Netflix, John Favreau's. Mm-hmm. Food, you know, food uh, show, and yep. in the first episode, he's cooking with Gwyneth Paltrow, and and that's where that happens. And I sat here and thought, well, why did I waste my time watching this then if I can just learn everything relevant from it in some article? And then I got sad, and I felt like drinking lots of alcohol. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, that's so that's that's just a little a little thing there about like. Um, <sighs> It's like nothing special. I can't even have my little thing that, especially if you make these things, you can't even have the little tidbit of information you provide that no one else has. It just gets chewed up and spit out by another entity. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Anyways, speaking of things that suck, Game of Thrones final season is covered in this, in this documentary, which, which I give a three stars, this documentary. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I like behind the scenes. I like seeing the sets. I like watching extras in full costume, you know, walking away from, craft services eating like a, a burrito i just that kind of anachronism always makes me laugh yeah yeah <laughs> especially something medieval like this it's really monty python right. like they walk out like can i have a wheat toasty and they have like half their faces supposed to be melted off it, it's just funny right. um but it's uh it sort of brings you a little bit into the world of how difficult it is to make a tv show um a tv show of this scale with this many demands and in the particular of this season one that was rushed as much as it was and Hmm. you could sort of they don't really highlight it that much outside of people sort of just regular complaining about the job but you get this sense of like wait is something wrong are they are they really trying to crank this out and and of course we know by now that that hbo the, the, the Dan and David cranked out the show so they could get lost and go do Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. And so this whole production was just kind of rushed and, and people getting upset about stuff. And, and it's not about it's not like a man of La Mancha thing where we're we're following like the, the downfall of some production because that obviously didn't happen. And it's not mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be an expose. It's just meant to be. I think it began as like a sentimental look at the end of Game of Thrones. And it sort of just became like an OK look at it. Um, it's right. weird. I don't know. I, I don't really know how to explain it. So it's a three star. It was fine. But um, I didn't really come out of it going like, oh, wow, that's cool. Or any it's just, oh, OK, I I don't know. I, I mean, looking back, I wouldn't watch it again. Um, sure. There's no reason to. Um, what there is reason to watch on HBO, if you have it again, um, is Chernobyl. 
all of the good we did. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that to them, justice was done. You see, a just world is a sane world. There was nothing sane about Chernobyl. It's a limited series, and it's obviously about the Chernobyl d nuclear disaster um, that happened in 1987, I think it was, um, in the Soviet Union. And um, so Kellen and I talked a little bit about this last, or a couple week, weeks ago, um, so I'll just be brief about it, because now I've finished the show. I definitely recommend it. Um, I always can recommend something um, that has such a short time investment on it. Um, Dustin, I think you would like it um, a lot, actually. Um, I don't, I don't think you have HBO, but um, but uh, one day it'll drop on Prime. You can watch it then. But um, but Chernobyl uh, features prominently in the casting um, Stellan Skarsgård, Jared Harris, um, and uh, but mostly unknown crop of of other actors in there, at least to me. Um, and what the show does really well. Um, it's just such a good it has such a good way of just unfolding this this consequences um and and really selling you on this like this this cover up kind of not even conspiracy but but the feeling you get while watching it is just this like oh boy I just want justice to be served it, 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 kind of in the way that spotlight does you're uncovering little things and you find out like wait, wait a minute they moved him like why isn't there any accountability why didn't this happen and it, and it kind of unfolds in the same way um you learn more and more about why this happened, who's to blame, who's lying, who's trying to cover it up, why. And, you know, it's it's just a real short but satisfying um, show about uh, about truth and about, um, you know, yeah, the, just the, the, the core concept of truth and honor mm -hmm. and accountability. Um, and, uh, and obviously told from the perspective of, of people inside Soviet Russia at the time. And I think yeah. when I talked to Kellen, I likened it to Valkyrie and that what it does is it serves the purpose of showing you the people inside this country that you probably just thought of as another, um, especially mm -hmm. now, but like, but you're seeing and in, in learning the names of the people who, who tried to tell everyone the truth, who tried to save more people with information that, that they did have available to them, but that, you know, upper management essentially smothered and swept under the rug because mm. doing, so, doing so would make the Soviet Union look weak and incompetent, which of course it right. was, but there was no way in hell you were going to get that information out there at the time. <laughs> and, right. and, 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 and the damage and the consequences from that. It's just, it's a mind blowing show. It's really, I mean, I'm, I'm not mind blowing. It, it's, it's a really good show. And, and again, it's so, so short and it's, it's done. It's, it's five and done. So, um, yeah, I encourage anyone who has a subscription or you can borrow a subscription from somebody, you know, you can watch them all in a night if you, if you really want to, but you can definitely do it in a weekend easily. Um, yeah. so, uh, Maybe this weekend, if you if you have access, check it out. I, I you won't be disappointed, um, unless you really have no attention span. Um, yeah, that's Chernobyl. That's a bunch of HBO stuff. 
Uh, and so, yeah, Chernobyl, Sweet. I didn't give it a star rating. I guess I'd give it, I'd give it like a four, four and a half. Like it's, there's no, Sweet. like, there's nothing emotional about it to me because sure. I'm, you know, I'm not watching to me. Emotion is you're following a central character or characters who follow an arc and, and, and self-actualize. That's my five star formula. Mm-hmm. So I'm not watching Jared Harris self-actualize in, in that sense, but I yeah. am seeing images and, and events that, that are emotional and that are kind of heartbreaking, but more just, but not so much in the, Oh, I've been following this person's wants and dreams and now they've achieved them or not achieved them happily or tragically. It's more like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. That's horrible. And like, just, it's more just like the weight of that this happens to people and Mm. what you learn about the fallout of Chernobyl and how terrifying it is. Um, mm. and how lucky we all are that it wasn't a whole lot worse. It's more right. like that. So there's emotional weight in the truth here. Um, sure. not as much in the storytelling of the main characters, but it's also not that kind of show. So sure. definitely a four, probably four and a half. Um, I'll give it a little extra kick for being based on true events and, and, and inherently dramatic, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, no, I, I fully intend to watch this thing. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, obviously haven't gotten around to it yet, Yeah, but it, it's, it looks so super cool. And it's just done well. You would just appreciate yeah. it from a technical standpoint. I mean, it's, it's just done competently. There's no like sure. dumbass bullshit that, that, that people should know better than not to do. I mean, it's right. And if, and if there's anything you don't like about it, it's, it's purely stylistic preference. It's not like, Oh my God, do you even know how to hold a camera? <laughs> like it's not, it's none of that stuff. So. Um, okay. Uh, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about, ooh, forgot who you're talking <laughs> Uh, searching. Searching. Let's talk about searching now. Hey, dad. Hey, sweetheart. Where are you? Study group. I'm gonna go all night. Oh, one more thing. I want to know dad. about the final you t- took today. <laughs> Margo. I'm 15. Student. 911, what's your emergency? I'm calling to report a missing person. Okay, who is this regarding? My daughter. I'm the detective. So, Searching uh, came out uh, last year, 2018. Um, It stars John Cho and is written and directed by Anish Shiganti. Um, This is... um, Bear with me because it's a little strange to try to explain the premise of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, story-wise, the premise is uh, John Cho plays a single father raising his high school-age daughter who um, one one night does not return home. Um, when he wakes the next morning and finds that she's still gone, he begins to um, hunt for her. And eventually realizes, you know, okay, let's file a missing persons report. And um, and so the whole thing is sort of a mystery of where is my daughter. Um, it's not like Taken, however, because John Cho doesn't do anything about it other than detective work. Um, so essentially think of it as uh, this is a father 
who gets thrown into the role of an investigator um, just because he thinks what the police are doing, you know, they're incompetent. They, they, they're not doing enough. He can do more. He knows his daughter. Um, and so, um, so that's the, the basic premise, right? But the conceit of the film is a little more difficult to explain. You see, this is not your typical movie. Um, a typical movie um, is made up of different kind of camera shots and angles, and you'll have your establishing shots, and you'll have your close-ups, and you'll have uh, you know clever editing in between. Um, this is not that at all. So this is very different from anything you're used to. Um, the entirety of this film takes place on John Cho's computer. Yes. So... Every everything that you see in this film, um, you're it's as if you are sitting there looking at his desktop monitor. Yeah, it's it's um, like you're watching a screen recording. Correct. Yeah. So so any footage of John Cho, there is a logical in-story reason why we're seeing it. So whether he's FaceTiming somebody, which there's a lot of FaceTiming in this, um, I, I don't think anybody FaceTimes this much, but you got to stretch it a little bit to give us some, you know, some some actual footage here. Um, but it, it, you're, he's either FaceTiming somebody or he's watching a news article that he appears on, like a video, and he's, you know, you're watching his interview, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, or... Um, if you if you use FaceTime on your on your computer, um, like if you just if you have a Mac and you launch FaceTime, your your eyesight camera comes on, and um, before you've ever dialed anybody, it sits there kind of like showing you on screen, um, and so there's a lot of that where like maybe that that window is kind of moved off to the side. So we're seeing him as he like types things in and all that kind of stuff. So, so we're watching him message somebody on Skype and we're watching the eyesight camera, watch him do that. Yeah. Um, so we're watching, maybe he's crying while he's doing that and he's just kind of forgotten that he left FaceTime open. And so the app has triggered the camera to be recording or to be, you know, showing this, it's not recording. It's right. It's not, it's not found footage. It's just, it's just a presentation concept. Correct. Right. So, um, so it's, it's kind of difficult to explain. Um, but here's, here's the other, like maybe the, the unintended downside of, of doing a movie like this is your audience is a little bit limited in that, um, if I were to recommend this to say my grandparents, they would not be able to follow this film. Right. Um, there's just no way, um, you have to have some level of understanding of how computers work to even understand how this film would be being presented to you. Right. Um, it just won't make any sense why somebody is typing all of these messages. And then like, what does it mean character wise when somebody moves something to the trash bin? (laughs) Right. Like like something as small as that, like you're revealing character through a, a keystroke on on a computer screen and, and somebody with the mind frame of like, oh, you're dragging that to the to the the trash bin. Um, 
your mind will go somewhere with that. My grandparents' mind wouldn't go anywhere with that. They wouldn't understand that. They don't. They do not own a computer. Um, so, so they they wouldn't understand. So, so this is not a film that I could ever recommend to them. But it sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This film isn't made for them. Right. Th- this film is made for a specific audience who would be able to understand it. Right. Um, what I appreciate about this film is it's very much real world. In that, if we're looking on Facebook. Facebook, we're actually looking on Facebook. It's not like, well, go on to her book face account. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's actually Facebook. Um, from what I understand, the filmmakers paid out the nose to Jeez. show all of these different apps. Like, oh, let's go on to her Twitter. Yeah. Or let's go on to her Instagram. And, and like, it's the actual thing. It's not like photogram. <laughs> and um, you know what I mean? Like, like you see that in, in movies all Tutor. the time. Yeah. <laughs> Tutor. Uh, right, exactly. You see that all the time, but these this is like actual. So, so if you're familiar with the interface of Facebook or you're familiar with the interface of Instagram, mm-hmm. like y- it puts you in the role of the detective because you're watching, you know, the 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 mouse cursor like hover over the search bar and you're like, "Oh, he's searching this." Like, yeah, that's what I would do. I would search that right. and then click on that and like you're it kind of makes you feel like you're doing it. Right. And and it puts you in this this mindset of like, how would I solve it? What what would I do to try to figure out how this goes? So, um, the majority of the detective work here is done virtually. Um, it's dragging a pen through Google Street View, right? It's it's not like we're actually seeing him go to the physical location. Um, although eventually he'll go somewhere and then we see like a, you know, a news report where it's like local father searching for daughter goes to, and, and you're actually seeing like the news chopper footage of it. Right. Right. So, so there's, there's always a clever way into, to seeing actual footage. Yeah. Um, but I would say by and large, um, this film is actually just told through text. Um, so, so there's a fair amount of, of footage. Don't get me wrong. And there's probably more than I'm thinking, but even when we're seeing John show, a lot of times we're seeing him type something. Right. Um, so, so a lot of this is told in, in keyboard shortcuts and what he types. So you're revealing character through, uh, moments where, um, John show will type something. And then delete it. Right. And right. then type something else. Right. So now we know what he's actually thinking and and what he decides it puts to say us in his head. Right. Yeah. Like we know what he's thinking and what he's saying. Right. And that those are two different things. So like early in the film, we'll see something. Um, I forget the exact like uh, dialogue here, but he'll type something to his daughter before she goes missing. And it's like, um, uh, he types, I love you or something. And then like backspace, backspace, backspace. And then it just writes like, I'll see you when you get home. Right. And it's like, oh, so why did he not say I love you? Right. You know what I mean? And so, so like in that way, we are in his head um, in a way that most films without like voiceover, y- you wouldn't even know that. Right. And I, I can almost guarantee that, well, obviously I could never guarantee. I, I sure. it would... <sighs> I would not be shocked if it turned out that the the initial reason they even chose this format was for this principal reason was we want to be able to show a little more clearly what people are thinking versus what they say. 
And yeah. one and one unique way to do that is to show what people type into a text and what they decide not to send. And yeah. then it's like, well, if we were to do that, we also need to build the concept around the screen. And so I, I, I would think that the format followed, but it's got to be that to me. Because otherwise, why would you want to do, other than a gimmick, why would you want to put everything on a screen that just records, like a screen recording? There's no, it, there's no artistic reason to do that except for what you were just describing with the, with the thoughts versus the actions. Yeah. And, and, and it's true. Now, the other thing that I could see is that maybe, you know, I, I would say the majority of this film is animated. It's, it's, you know, watching the, the text populate or going through Google maps or whatever. Um, so maybe it's the fact that, Hey, we can tell a whole story and really only film for like, you know, a week. Right. You know, um, and, and, and we'll just spend all of our time in the editing bay after and tell our story through screen captures and, you know, animations. Um, maybe that was it. I, I, I don't know. Um, but all that to say there's, um, this sort of opens the door and this is not the first film to do something like this. Um, but in my mind, this is the benchmark, this, this, completely works. Um, it completely gets you into the head of your main character. It, um, it does everything that a movie should do. It doesn't, in other words, it doesn't feel like there's anything lacking. Um, that was my thought when I watched this film was like, okay, so, so we're going to see everything on the screen, but it's going to feel like we're not really getting the full story. There's just no way, but it felt like I got the full story. Um, so I, I, my hat's off to the screenwriters and I actually, um, listened to a little bit of a podcast that, um, these screenwriters had, had, they'd been on a podcast where they talked about this screenwriting process and how they essentially wrote a brand new script format. Yeah. Because, I this too. because the, yeah, the classic, you know, interior hallway night doesn't work here. Right. Um, because we're not seeing that it's. Uh, you know, it's like uh, Facebook window right. is your scene heading. Yeah. Uh, you know, David Kim enters in his daughter's name in the search bar. Right. Yep. And then and then instead of dialogue, they would write uh, David um, and, and then they would put like in parentheses or whatever, like in Facebook search bar and what he's typing. Right. Or or Skype. Like David in Skype and yep. what he's typing. So the dialogue wasn't even really a lot of times spoken dialogue. It was typed dialogue. Yeah. So it's a completely new script format. So so cracking that so that it makes sense when you try to film it or, you know, arrange it or whatever the yeah. case was. Um, I mean, that that's a, a feat in and of itself. Um, but an, I, I would say an, enough about the 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 conceit of the film, although, although we'll come back to that. Um, I, I want to talk about the story here. Um, so the story, I mean, this is your standard, uh, detective story. It's someone's missing. We have to find them. Um, and in that regard, this is actually a really good detective story. Wow. Um, there are plenty of red herrings. There are twists and turns. There are things that you don't see coming. There are things that you do see coming and then you're wrong about. And um, it's just a really well-told detective story. Um, I have seen some complaints leveled against the, the story, which I... 
I can understand. It didn't bother me as much as it has bothered some, um, but I think this is a really well-told um, detective story, and it and because of the nature of the the film itself you feel like you are the detective in a way that most detective movies never really get you in in that space right like you can watch sherlock holmes but at the end of the day like you're you're not as smart as sherlock holmes right like some of the things that he does like ah this butterfly here it's from uh you know sri lanka and you're like oh i i never would have known that you know what i mean like thanks for telling me the audience but i couldn't have figured that out um, here, everything that, that John Cho's character does is something that you would or could do. Um, there's nothing, you know, like, like otherworldly about his, his detective prowess. He's just thinking logically, oh, if she went here, then clearly she went to this website. And if she was on this website, then maybe she interacted with somebody. And if she interacted with somebody, then maybe I can find out who and what they said. And and it's like backtracking through her life. And um, and it's just, it's just super well told. I, I found myself riveted to the point where regardless of whether I was ever going to like the, the presentation of the film – the story was enough to sell me. Wow. Um, I was, I was going to be engaged with the story. Um, so, uh, if we were to talk about the traditional things like direction, well, uh, my hat's off to him, but it, it, you can't talk about it the way you normally would. Um, because normally you're talking about how they direct their actors and how they line up their shots. Well, the shots are, already kind of lined up for them. Um, and you know, there's no cuts in between them. Like, Ooh, look at that motivated cut to a close up. You don't get it right. That, that doesn't happen. Um, or look at how they're directing their actors. Okay. But their actors are kind of only in minimal parts of this film. Um, a lot of the heavy lifting is done without them. And, and so, so it's weird to talk about direction or performance, but what I will say is that, for a couple for for a couple of people in this film and I'll call them out Deborah Messing John Cho um for those two people to um do what they do with the time that they get and the kind of uh camera that they get is really phenomenal um because they're acting in a way that when you're performing, you have to be in the mindset of, oh, there's going to be a close up here. So, so I don't have to act as big or whatever the case may right. be. Um, but, but with, with this, like the camera just is, and you act to it the way that you might an, an audience in a play, but it doesn't have to be as big because again, it's a film, but, but what I'm saying is like, it's a fixed point. It's a, it's a fixed eye on you and it does not change unless you physically crowd the camera. Um, and so, so it's just a different skill set, and they do really great with what they have and the direction, you know, for, for a guy who's basically blazing a, a new trail here, um, everything works. Um, so, 
uh, star rating. What am I going to give this? Uh, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it four and a half stars. I mean, Woo. this is a really a really well told film. I'm a sucker for a good detective story. Yeah. Um, and this is a good detective story. Um, I will say this. This is not a spoiler. What I will say is that the ending for me um, was. Uh, a little less focused than I would have liked. Um, it almost uh, felt like almost not not hundred percent. Almost felt like it uh, changed point of view a little bit, um, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, so so that kind of knocked it down for me. Put it down towards the you know I, I mean I could I could go four four and a half somewhere in there, but but that knocks it down for me a little bit. But story wise, great. Well told story. Um, I really found myself engaged with it the entire time, um, and uh, and I felt like I was a detective, which is which is always a great little plus that I, I felt a part of the film in some way. So um, so yeah, that's searching. Um, I saw this actually on demand from Xfinity. So um, if you have Xfinity streaming, you can find it there uh, free. Um, and there's no ads uh, involved, um, so you can watch it there. Um, if not, I believe this is still at Redbox, so check your locations there. And you can all uh, you can always rent it from you know iTunes or Prime Video. Um, it is worth your time. I think uh, if you too are a sucker for detective stories, or if you just really want to like you're just super curious about how this film is presented, um, I'd say give it a watch. Um, I didn't know Xfinity had that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a whole other can of worms. But we, when when I signed up for Xfinity, it was just for the internet. Like I don't pay for cable or whatever because um, I'm just like, why why even do it? And um, and they it, evidently our our term was just for a year, and then they were like, we're gonna go up on you. But here's your next great offer, and they said, you know, we'll give you Xfinity streaming. Um, so it's essentially access to like their on-demand platform, but you can watch it on your mobile device or save it to offline viewing or whatever. Um, and so, so, so yeah, I've got that. Um, so yeah, is this movie, uh, is is this movie scurry? Nah, not scary. Nah. Now, if you, if you had a daughter who was 16, maybe, (laughs) um, but, uh, but no, it, it, it's not scary. It's, um, to me, I mean, even if it was, to me, the 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 mystery of it is so engaging that yeah. you know it wouldn't have been. It, yeah, I would just would have been too engaged with it. So, sure. um, but, but no, it's not. Okay. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah, man, I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Well, um, I've had a good t- I've I've had a good time with you tonight, Dustin. I've had a good time with you, Hooper. Um, <laughs> that was me. Rap- ha, those have ha, ha, have the audience. Have you guys had a good time with us? Are you searching for a way out of this show? Oh no! Because if you have, you are at the end of the show. Um, we we are uh. we are finished. Um, and uh, and oh my God, we're on time. Um, whoa whoa! Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Check us out next week. I'm not going to make promises because the last time I did that was last week, and, and we're not doing the thing I said we were going to do last week. So um, you liar! I know. Um, so you uh, lie to me. So we're going to do something next week. That's all I'm going to say. 
Um, we, we will do a show. We'll do it. We, we will. We, we'll give you that much. Oh, I didn't talk about Barry. I'll talk about Barry next week. There we go. There's, there's something I can talk about. Oh, sweet. Okay, yeah. yeah. Also on HBO. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm rounding up all my HBO content before it uh, disappears. There you go. Good night, everyone. Have a good weekend. Get out there, see some good movies, or stay in and do so. And uh, we will see you next week. Yeah.